I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith in our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Yesterday was the feast day of St. Matthew the Apostle, and that's going to play into our show in a couple of ways today. Uh, Later, we're going to explore a reading from church history about the call of St. Matthew, a homily written by St. Bede the Venerable. Later in the show, we're also going to be talking with Katie Prejean McGrady. She's an international speaker, educator, and author. She's got a couple of books on Ave Maria Press, worth your time to take a look at. We'll talk about those as we speak with her, specifically about the importance of, of the call, not only of God's call on our life, but in us echoing that call to others, inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. But before we get there, I want to spend a little bit of time with you looking at this, this story of, of Jesus calling St. Matthew the Apostle, and not only looking at the story, but putting ourselves in the middle of that story. Here we are with St. Matthew in a crowded marketplace at our place of business uh, and trying to make enough to live. Of course, uh, he chose to do that in a way that maybe he could get a little bit of kickback on the side uh, and have uh, a comfortable life in a time where it wasn't easy to have a comfortable life. And so here he is in the middle of his business day and Jesus enters the marketplace Now, there are different schools of thought about whether or not uh, Matthew had heard of Jesus' reputation, whether that preceded him. Uh, Maybe they had come into contact with one another. Uh, Maybe they had uh, been a part of the same synagogue or or some other way that they've interacted. We don't know. It's not given to us uh, to know one way or the other. Uh, But what we see is Jesus walks into this synagogue and he looks Matthew in the eye. And he says, come, follow me. Now, St. Bede the Venerable is going to talk about this uh, in in some pretty significant detail that we'll talk about in the end of the show. But I'm just curious about what would have happened if Matthew had dismissed him. If Matthew had said, you know what, my priorities are set. I am happy with the way that they are. I've, I've got my life figured out, and yeah, not everybody likes me, but you know what? I don't really care about what they think. I'm perfectly happy with the uh, the extra money I've got coming in, and that money will buy me what all the happiness I need, right? He could have said that. He could have said, you know, it's too difficult to go about changing the whole of my life. It's just, it's just better to continue on the trajectory that I already have uh, planned out in front of me. But no one would have thought it at all strange or odd had he done that. Had he been happy with his priorities, even if he were miserable in the way people treated him, uh, he was happy in his priorities. He had them set. It was was a, a familiar thing, but he didn't. Matthew looked uh, and received the, the gaze of Christ and received the call of Christ and said, it will be hard to reorder my priorities in such a way that I can do the thing that you're asking me to do. It will be painful for me to switch around my entire life, change everything about my routine, leave my stability 
to go into the unknown. It will be uncomfortable to follow you. And yet there's something in my spirit that says that it will be worth it. Now, your parish, it's the fall. So most parishes right about now, they are uh, ramping up their their fall programming. There are Bible studies. There are uh, classes for uh, for religious education for the kids. Uh, and the call goes out. Come and be my disciple. Come follow me. Come invest in relationships. Come invest in the life and the catechesis of children. Come and follow me. But our priorities are already set. Don't you know, uh, Jesus, that the kids have sports and extracurriculars that I've got to get them to? I've got to, they, we've got to make those practices. If they don't have these experiences, uh, how will they live a, a full and uh, and robust life? How will they get into good colleges if they don't have extracurricular activities? Come, follow me. Well, you know, work is so busy, and I just I don't have the time uh, to invest in any Bible studies. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's at an inconvenient time. It's just not going to work out. Uh, I guess it didn't work with my schedule this year. Maybe next year they'll they'll have something at the right time. But the call goes out, come, follow me. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking with Kendra Tierney, and she said something in that interview that has kind of stuck with me. She was able to articulate it in a way that I haven't been able to, but it's this thought that I've had for a while. And she says to her children, whenever, uh, whenever it's Lent or whenever there are uh, certain requirements that the church gives us, whether it be for fasting or abstinence. And, and the church always seeks to be merciful to those that are weakest among us. Uh, but too many times the strong among us take that as an excuse to not do as much. And she says to her children, we're stronger than they think we are. And I want to say that to you today. You're stronger than you think you are. Like Matthew, you face the call of Jesus. He comes right where you are and looks you in the eye and invites you to something difficult. But he knows that you're stronger than you think you are. He knows what it will take for you to rearrange your priorities in your family and rearrange your schedule. But you're stronger than you think you are. I encourage you, uh, find some way this fall, whether it be a small group, whether it be a Bible study, whether it be going to daily mass one day extra every week, find some way to engage yourself into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Find some way. Go to adoration once a week. Do something that will develop that relationship that you lay like Matthew. Lay aside your priorities and your schedule and your stability and follow after Jesus. When we come back, we have a conversation with Katie Prejean McGrady, international speaker, educator, and author. It's a great conversation. Don't miss it. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and some weeks, uh, I, everything just falls into place. You know, there are some times where I have my interview planned out weeks in advance, and I know what I'm going to talk about and with whom, and it's, you know, we, we have a, a strong plan in place. Uh, this week, as I was uh, attempting to invite people onto the show, one after another said, I would love to be on. Let's do it in two weeks or three weeks. And so I wasn't able to get this week filled. And I'm I'm sitting and praying and saying, okay, God, we have a certain amount of time before we hit air. And so how are we going to go about doing this? And so I do what, what you normally do when you're stressed about things. I was scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> And there on Twitter, it wasn't even our guest today. It was a retweet of, of this, uh, this thread, this story laid out by, uh, by our guest today, Katie Prejean McGrady. Uh, Katie, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be chatting with you. So we always on the show in the last segment, we talk about our reading from uh, church history out of the breviary generally and out of scripture. And this week's reading out of scripture is the story of uh, the sower, the parable of the sower and the seed where he casts out and some seed lands on the, the rocky ground and the, the, the some lands in good soil and so forth. That whole story of basically uh, letting the word of God go out uh, indiscriminately and letting God bring the increase where he will. And so I'm just a little bit concerned about where I'm going to be able to find a guest. And here is this amazing story that you tell from your experience as a teacher. Um, and, and I'd heard your name before, but I've always uh, heard it as a, a youth speaker. And I've, that's never been, my kids aren't old enough for that yet. And, and I'm not involved in youth ministry. So I always kind of, uh, I'm, this is confession time. I've always <laughs> had you compartmentalized over and well, that's youth ministry over there. And, after I read this story, I started pouring over your Twitter because of uh, these kinds of stories. I went and watched one of your videos uh, that you have on your website, katieprejean.com, uh, and I was really seriously impressed. So uh, thank you for, for being here on such short notice, and I want to talk to you today about that these two stories, a story mm -hmm. from your classroom and a story from an airport Chili's where all things yes. good <laughs> happen. So I'm going to let you tell the story and then we'll, we'll uh, starting with the, the school story and we'll, we'll break it down from there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, um, a Catholic school teacher for five years. I taught freshmen. So it's the fast track to heaven. That's kind of the joke that I would always make. <laughs> and I loved teaching freshmen. Um, they, they come in so wide eyed and curious and unaware of like the hard part of life that's coming down the pipe. Um, and so it was just, it was always a, a nice reminder to sit in a classroom with a bunch of freshmen who have a lot of questions about everything from demonic possession all the way to why does the Pope have to wear white um, and everything in between. And so uh, teaching freshmen was was the perfect thing I needed in my life for those five years. But I, I you know, every year you get students that, that kind of throw you, for lack of a better way to put it, they throw you for a loop. Um, and so I had this one particular student that came in and, and I, I used generic gender language because I didn't want to identify the kid because, you know, I didn't ask them for permission to share this story. Right. Um, but they they came in and they were like they sat in the back, arms crossed. I hadn't given out the seating chart yet. And I could just kind of tell, like, this kid doesn't want to be in here. I don't know if it's maybe they don't want to be at this Catholic school. Maybe they want to be in my Catholic classroom. I, I don't know. But I could just tell you don't want to be here. 
Um, and I had a pretty good reputation at the school for being one of the cool teachers, being one of the fun teachers. Um, you know, I, I, I've always kind of jokingly told my students in the past, if you're catching, if, if I catch you chewing bubble gum, my first question is going to be, can I have a piece? Right. And then it's going to be spit it out. Um, <laughs> You know, and like that was just kind of my, my philosophy in life. And so I could tell this kid didn't want to be there. So they, they just had this surly look about them. And so I I just kind of made it my mission to be very nice to them. Um, I wasn't going to push. I wasn't going to try to shove my Catholic faith down their throat. This was a Catholic school. And obviously, you know, I'm a Catholic theology teacher. So like they're going to learn Catholic theology in there. But I wasn't going to be a jerk about it. Um and, you know, in my earlier years as a teacher, my first year of teaching, I had a, a student that was very similar to that, and I approached it in the wrong way. So, like, I knew the writing on the wall. If I try to, to push too hard, too quick, this kid's going to revolt. Um, right. This kid's not going to want to be in here. So I just kind of, every day, they would come into class, and I would stand at the door, and i greet all my students as they would come in, and I would consistently ask them, how are you doing? Um, and I was nice about it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be like cheesy with it. I wasn't trying to be a jerk with like, I wasn't trying to be nice in a false way. Like I was just legitimately curious, like, how are you doing today? And so finally, like a few months into this, they were just like, I don't understand, um, why you keep asking me this. Like, I don't understand why, why you care how I am. Um, and so I, I just looked him in the eye and I said, because you matter and I'm happy that you're here. And I don't know that anybody had ever told them that before in that school. Uh, and that's not a knock on my fellow teachers. That's not right. a knock on, on on my coworkers or anybody else in the education field that had ever taught this student. I just I don't think anybody had ever legitimately looked him in the eyes and said, "We're we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're a student. We're glad that you sit in our classrooms." And then so that started a relationship. It started this um, this curiosity to where they started to ask me how I was. And then the questions got a little deeper. Well, what'd you have for lunch today? Um, and, and then the questions got even deeper, you know, like, well, what, what do you think about this? Or how, how do we actually know that God is real? And so eventually those questions led to genuine curiosity and a chance to truly disciple this student and to, and to truly walk with them on this journey of discovery. And so I would pass out books to them. I would send them links to Father Mike Schmidt's videos and Bishop Barron videos. And the next thing I knew, they showed up. I, I was a parish youth minister at the time as well. Yeah. They showed up to one of our Wednesday night Bible studies, and then they just never stopped coming. Um, and then they came to school the following year. So after their freshman year has finished, we've had this whole summer. Beginning of the school year, they come running into my classroom, and they announce to me that they have signed up for RCIA at their parish. Wow. Um, and they became Catholic. They, they actually went through, and, and I'm, I'm saying this, I doubt that they'll ever actually hear this podcast, no offense. Um, but they, they, <laughs> they, went, they went through RCIA twice. They, they, they took it two times. Um, because their family had a little bit of, of curiosity and some confusion and some questions, and, you know, they're, they're, they're a kid. So right. they, they went through RCA twice, and they became Catholic. They entered into the church, and it was a joyful and, and, and wonderful and beautiful day. And, and I think back to those moments of just greeting them when they'd come to my door. You know, how you doing? That started it. Yeah. We're talking today with Katie Prejean McGrady. Uh, she blogs over at uh, katieprejean.com. A couple of other things we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, but what I find so fascinating about this story is the simplicity of it. So often mm -hmm. we see a, a person like that as a challenge to be fixed or figured mm -hmm. out. Uh, and that if I can just find the right combination of answers uh, and figure out which is their main objection, uh, then then I'll be able to win them mm -hmm. for the faith. And a lot of times we, we look 
completely overlook the idea of pre-evangelization. Before mm -hmm. someone is ever ready to hear the good news of the gospel, they, they need to experience the gospel message that you as a person are made in the image and likeness of God and therefore bear incomparable worth. And if you can't hear that verbally, let me demonstrate it to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, I mean, Dr. Seuss would put it this way. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. um, and I, if I could get that tattooed on my forehead, I would, because I feel like the rest of the world needs to needs to hear that shouted these days, especially yeah. with what's going on in our church and what's going on in our politics and what's just going on in general in our culture. I think we've forgotten how to simply be people together. And then our ideologies and our beliefs and, and our theology, all of that will start to make sense to people when they first and foremost see us as somebody who values them. And maybe that's idealistic of me. Maybe that's me sitting on top of a mountain proclaiming something that, that, that is just really theoretical. But I've seen it happen with high school freshmen in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Yeah. And if it, can, if it can work here with a bunch of 14-year-olds, that, that philosophy in life can really work in any aspect of our ministries. Well, I think it's very important that we resist compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. It makes life easier because we can navigate it quickly. Oh, well, you fall into this camp, and so I know how to treat you, and I know how to, to respond to you. Uh, and, and yet, in doing so, we take the subjective person and we make them into an object. We put them mm -hmm. in that box, and then I no longer have to, um, to be uncomfortable with your difference and your otherness. Yeah. I have to actually, uh, if, I, if I treat you as a subject, I have to sit in that uncomfortability and, and experience you as another person with actual thoughts and desires and dreams and dignity. Uh, and I, I think we don't necessarily even know how to do that. We, we have lost that um, Mr. Rogers quality about us as a yeah. society. <laughs> and, and we need to stand up and say, hello, neighbor. I'm glad mm -hmm. you're here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very true. You know, you're saying the concept of neighbor, um, the people next door to us, they, you know, they bought the house. We bought this house. Nobody lived in the house next door. Somebody bought it. Somebody flipped it. They sold it to a very nice couple. And every time we'd pull into our driveway and they would happen to be like in the yard or like on their porch or, or you know, pulling in as well. Of course, you know, my husband and I are we're laden down with grocery bags or whatever it is we're pulling out of the vehicle. And the baby, of course, you know, you've got a one year old who doesn't want to be held. So it's just kind of this battle of wills in that moment. Yeah. And I would always say out loud to Tommy. I need to go over there and say hi. I need to go over there and shake their hands. I'm going to bake them cookies. I'm going to welcome them to the neighborhood. So literally, the day that I, I baked some home homemade shortbread cookies last week, I've gotten into very very much into British Bake Off lately. So I was like, I had a, <laughs> a, a baking bug. So I'm baking these homemade cookies. I wrap them up in, in like a little baggie, and I'm going to walk over there. Literally, I walk outside my front door, and in like the three hours that I'd been in my house, they'd put a for lease sign in the front of their house. Oh. And I and like I'm sure it's not because we never brought them cookies. I'm sure there's like some reason why they're like they're leasing their house. But I I, I was so upset with myself because I was like I am better than this. I should have brought them cookies the moment they moved in. Like I should have welcomed them to the neighborhood, even even if they were planning on moving or leasing out that house eventually. Like we as people have forgotten how to just simply love the other person because they exist. And it's especially really hard to do that with people that we we have a lot of differences with. But I would I would say it's 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 better when we do love the other who is very very different than we are, because it forces us to stretch. And when we stretch, that's where virtue can grow, and that's that's where we become holy. I'm interested uh, in this whole concept of of neighborhood and being neighborly mm -hmm. because uh, the, all of our efforts for building community today. 
generally in this society uh, are digital. Uh, and, and so yeah. we have our all of our community on social media. Well, the thing about social media is that there are algorithms that help birds of a feather flock together. So most mm-hmm. of the people you're going to experience in your feed, whether it be on on Twitter or your wall on Facebook, it's going to people who it's going to consist of people who either ex, uh, very much agree with you. Uh, or it's going to be people who are diametrically opposed to you for the purpose of getting you mad to go back over to the people who agree with you and have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and so there's, there's no uh, subjectivity of persons really presented to us online and we've Mm -hmm. lost it in person. Oh yeah. I mean, it's uh, the people that I love the most in life are people that are very different from me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm an introvert to the max on the scale My husband is an extrovert to the max on the scale, but yet somehow we're happily married together, Um, you know, and and we're we're taking bets on which one our daughter will be extroverted or introvert. I think she's pretty much an extrovert. But like the people that I am most drawn to in life are actually super, super different from me. But yet I run from and recoil from them at first because it's challenging and it pushes me. Yeah, we're going to continue this conversation with Katie Prajan McGrady just after this break. You can find her over on Twitter at Katie Prejean, P-R-E-J-E-A-N. Come find us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. There's much more to this conversation with Katie Prejean McGrady. Right after this, you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. What can be more foundational to our faith than love? God is love, and those who love come from God and are born of God. Uh, Anyone that does not love does not know God, we're told from uh, St. John. Also, what could be more foundational to to, uh, evangelism than love? They will know that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. And to talk about that, to talk about our relationship with uh, the unbeliever, to with with the person who has fallen away, with the stranger, uh, to talk about that is Katie Prejean McGrady. Katie, thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. So you have uh, you've got a couple of books out on Ave Maria Press. The first was Room Twenty Four. Uh, I'm assuming this was your classroom uh, for those yes. five years. Uh, Adventures of a New Evangelist, uh, and recently, also on Ave Maria Press, you have Follow Your Lifelong Adventure with Jesus, which is appropriate because yesterday we celebrated the Feast of Saint Matthew, uh, where we had in our our gospel reading the calling of Matthew, and. That ties into another one of these Twitter feeds of yours that I was enthralled by, uh, because what we notice as Jesus calls each of his disciples is that he approaches them individually, uh, connects with them, looks them in the eye, and he calls them by name. Mm-hmm. And, and out of that name, 
Uh, we also have this with uh, with Moses, right? The burning bush calls yeah. out Moses' name, and here Moses is looking around in the middle of the wilderness, saying, "Wait, who who is there? I'm I'm over here." Uh, mm-hmm. Lo and behold, it's the the fire of of God's presence in the middle of that bush that's calling him. With the beginning of calling someone by name comes discipleship and obedience, uh, and you have the story about waiting in line for Chili's while you're in the airport. Mm-hmm. And generally, uh, if you're in the airport, uh, our normal thought is about where we're going and what's next and not so much to keep our eyes open for opportunity, but here this opportunity just presented itself. Lay the story out for us. Yeah. So I was coming back, um, from Steubenville, St. Paul. So a long weekend and exhausting weekend. Um, I'm super introverted when I travel, noise-canceling headphones, don't talk to me, don't look at me, I'm going to watch a movie, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to, most of my writing is done on airplanes, actually, so I'm going to write something, um, and I hopped in the line to get some food to go before heading to my next gate, I had like an hour and a half, um, and I, I went to go pull my phone out of my pocket, um, and my, I always travel with a rosary in my pocket, not because I'm like one of those holier than thou, I'm going to pull my rosary out and bless the plane, but it's just a comfort, sometimes, I'll, you know, I'll put my hand in my pocket and and just kind of, you know, hold on to the beads. Just in case the plane starts to shake and you start to go down. You just never know. Like, you got to have, it's it's the greatest weapon we have. So you just got to have it with you. And I often find that if I forget to put it in my pocket, then I'm delayed. I'm not saying I'm superstitious. I'm just saying you should fly with a rosary. So I I go pull my phone out and like the crucifix kind of like popped out of my pocket. It was just kind of like dangling down. Um, And this guy was standing there and he was like, oh, are you Catholic? And I, it was like, Kind of like I love being incognito in an airport. I love the fact that like you can go from a Steubenville conference with 5,000 screaming teenagers who want to take pictures with you to an airport two hours later where nobody knows your name. And it's great because it's like it's this perfect reminder of you're nobody except through Christ. So like I'm like I turn to this guy and I'm like, I want to say, yeah, dude, like, but I don't want to talk about it right now. So I just said, yes, very. And I like (laughs) went to like shove the shove the crucifix back in my pocket, like to indicate like. The evangelization is closed. Like, this is not a moment to talk to one another. And he just said, oh. Um, And then he just started talking. And, like, when I tell you this guy just started to kind of unload, it it felt like he probably, A, had not talked to anybody all day long except airport employees. And, B, had not talked to a Catholic in a very long time. And so he just starts talking about, like, I used to be Catholic, but I never really felt like I fit. And he said, you know, I moved and I, I went to a bunch of different parishes, but like, you know, I was working a lot and, and I had to go to a bunch of different masses, you know, to try to find a one that, and he just, and then he said, but no one ever even asked me my name. Hmm. I was like, that's a weird detail to include. And then he just kept going and he made this really funny joke where he's like, I love stained glass. Like where else can a, can a guy look at stained glass and it's not weird. Um, and he's, and so it's like, yeah, he was drawn to beauty. Like, there you go right there. Like right. you should go watch Bishop Barron videos. And, and, but then he said, but no one seemed to want me there. So I just stopped going. Hmm. And like, I'd, I'm sitting there. And of course, like five years as a Catholic school teacher, five years as a parish youth minister, I've written these two books. I talked to people literally for a job about Jesus. Like all of my, all of my ministry tentacles are tingling. And, and I think to myself, the only things I've said to this guy right now are the words yes and very. Yeah. And he just unloaded about how he felt isolated from the church because no one asked him his name. So I, in a moment, in a a stroke of pure Holy Spirit genius, I went, well, what's your name? Yeah. And he smiled, like the biggest smile. And he said, I'm Joe. 
And I said, I introduced myself. I said, well, Joe, I'm Katie, and I'm very Catholic, and I would love to see you come back to the church because I want you there. Hmm. And he just kind of like, I, it would it would be great to say like tears welled up in his right. eyes or like he laughed, but like he just like looked at me, I think kind of in shock that that was my response. <laughs> and and he was just like, yeah, you know, maybe. And, and so like we just kind of that the conversation ended it was a little awkward at that point i made it awkward but you know because i've like gotten like super personal but he also made it awkward because he just unloaded all this stuff right and then our food eventually came out and they call our names and like i go and he was like i know it's my fault i left for something as silly as like nobody asking my name but that's like the first thing that jesus would want us to know about each other and it was like this man is the most profound individual i have met and i just spent a weekend with with other people at a youth conference right. and like it struck me that it, 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 rem- it immediately reminded me of two things. It, it reminded me of the call of St. Matthew when, like, again, when Jesus, like, calls him out, like, I know who you are, I know yeah. what you've done, and I love you anyway. And it reminded me of the moment with um, Andrew and John in the desert where Jesus says, come and see. Yeah. Like, he doesn't lay out the map or the agenda. He just invites them to come with him. Right. I don't know that we always do that as church, and I think we ought to start. We're talking today with Katie Prejean McGrady, and during the break you were talking about coming to see the parish as our home, Mm -hmm. the parish as the center of, of our social life, the center of our, uh, the the vibrancy of our life. Uh, that's our extended family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I just had the thought, you know, if, if we had someone in our home, like in our, our domicile Mm -hmm. that we didn't know, we would take notice. We would recognize that. And, and hopefully if it was, (laughs) Hopefully, in in the parish uh, context, we would engage them and and welcome them into that family because the chances are that a person who's there uh, to visit is uh, is a Catholic. Maybe mm-hmm. you've got someone who's out from out of town and they're visiting, but the chances are that this is a long lost family member that I just don't know yet. These mm-hmm. are my people. I ought to be engaging them. And you know, I I I've grown up in the same parish my whole life in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, and I think back to when my, my family and I were making the wedding invite list when my husband and I were getting married and we literally had a category, uh, like I'm a spreadsheet person. So our whole invite list was organized by like Katie's family, Tommy's family, Katie's friends, Tommy's friends, coworkers, uh, people from out, out of town, like complete. and, And there was an entire column of of people from OLQH, from my parish, mm-hmm. that, I mean, old ladies and old men and, and young families that I've grown up around, because we have this relationship, I wouldn't be who I am if those people had not invested in me, if those people didn't notice the weekends that I'm traveling and Tommy is, is flying solo with Rose at Mass. And yet, I think sometimes what happens is we become very, um, I'm going to say this, and I'm not trying to offend anybody when I say this, but we become very tribal, and we become very cliquish, and we we think, oh, I don't have room for anybody else, except those people that have arrived, they're looking for family right. and, and they're looking for a community and they're, they're looking for people to support. There's a young woman here in Lake Charles. Um, my mom is a daily mass goer. She goes to mass every morning at 6.30 a.m. Her, her Roman missile is so beaten up and destroyed because she uses it so much. Mm-hmm. And she started noticing this young woman 
sitting in the same spot every week. And so like for two or three weeks, my mom, she would text me and she's like, do you know who this is? Like, she looks like she would have just graduated college. Like she, she, I don't recognize her. She kind of looks like your sister's age. I don't think she went to school with y'all. So finally I just, I just said, mom, just go ask her what her name is. Cause I wasn't at the six thirty. And so my mom just walked up to her after six thirty morning mass one day and introduced herself. Found out she was a graduate of LSU, had moved to Lake Charles for a job, um, was very Catholic, had been very, and, you know, knew a few people in town, and they had recommended going to this parish because of the community. Yeah. And my mom was one of the first people that had gone up to her and asked her her name. Well, my mom and Marilyn became fast friends, so much so that they eventually led a small group together at the parish youth ministry program, um, so much so that my sister and Marilyn became very good friends, and my sister was in Marilyn's wedding hmm. just this past fall. All because my mom recognized she's new here. I'm going to ask her her name and we're going to build this relationship. And now, you know, Rose, lo- my, my daughter loves Miss Marilyn. And, and she, you know, they were at our she married a local guy here in town. And so we've kept her here forever. Like right. she's ours now. <laughs> like we've adopted her as our own. And I think that and I'm giving very specific small town examples. Right. And some people are going to listen to this and they're going to think, well, I live in a big city or, or, or I, I go to a different parish every weekend. It doesn't always have to to result in these like lifelong friendships, but it can result in just very, you could make somebody's day. Right. You could, you could literally make somebody's week by simply saying, it's so wonderful to see you this morning. You can keep someone uh, in the church. You can absolutely help someone yeah. in their relationship with Christ just by virtue of noticing them. Like we, yep. you don't have to have this huge long plan of what you're going to do and where you're going to invite them next. Just go say hello. Right. And that could lead to very organic and beautiful interactions. I mean, there are people at church that, you know, all the, our, our entire interaction for the entire week is just a brief, like we're walking out at the same time and we, we ask each other, how are things going? But that sense of connection and that human moment is a vision of church. We just prayed together. We just received the Eucharist together. Let's let's have a conversation on the way to our cars and let's recognize that we're all in this together. Well, you know, when we go up and we receive the Eucharist and the the uh, the priest or the deacon or the uh, extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, they hold out the, the host in front of us and they say, the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we agree. We have that assent. We say, amen. And, and in doing that, we do two things. We acknowledge our belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And we also acknowledge our our assent to the fact that these people who are sitting around us make up the body of Christ in a very mm-hmm. real and tangible way. It's not one or the other. We don't pit them against each other. It is one and the same, that Christ is present in the Eucharist and he's made manifest in the world by his people. Mm-hmm. And I th- yeah, we, yeah. We, we miss that too often. We think of, of Mass as just our opportunity to go and connect with Christ in the Eucharist, and we miss Christ and the people who are sitting right next right. to us. So, so this church that I've grown up at, um, if you if you if you want to see a church that looks like a spaceship that I love dearly, <laughs> Google Our Lady Queen of Heaven Catholic Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. It was straight out of 1975. It's a big box. Um, there's not a speck of stained glass in that building. Um, and I heard one time, and it's kind of cheesy, and maybe you know maybe some people will not like this theory, but I heard one time that the pastor that designed it did so in such a simple way because he wanted people walking in to see the beauty of the church and the people sitting next to them. Hmm. Now, take or leave that explanation. He might not have just liked stained glass. I don't know. But every time I walk into that church, which is a home to me, 
Um, you know, the church is often dubbed as the place that nobody wants to get married. It was the only place I wanted to get married because I wanted pictures in the same church where I'd been baptized and, and received First Holy Communion and Confirmation. It's home to me, and, and we have to be home to one another. Yeah. We've been talking today with Katie Prejean McGrady. Find her over on Twitter, at Katie Prejean. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'm going to post links to her new book, Follow Your Lifelong Adventure with Jesus, available on Ave Maria Press. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we've been talking with Katie Prejean McGrady, this the day after the Feast of St. Matthew. We've been talking about the importance of seeing, uh, recognizing the other, and the dignity of, of the other person made in the image of God, and calling on them, inviting them into relationship and into communion. It's a great conversation. If you missed any part of it, don't worry. Uh, have no fear. It's all archived online over at OutsideTheWalls.com. If you so enjoyed the show and you just can't really get enough, well, there's more. Uh, there's uh, about 12 to 15 minutes more of that conversation with Katie Prejean McGrady available to those who support the show through Patreon. So while you're there at Outside the Walls, finding the episode to share with all of your friends on social media, click on that support the show link, the Patreon link there. And for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all the extra segments. We produce an extra segment each and every week with our guests. And when you join our Patreon support community, you don't just get future episodes, but you get all the ones that have come before as well. So go take a look at that and consider giving up just one cup of coffee, one Starbucks a month and helping us stay on the air. Let's turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and from church history. As I mentioned in the first segment, today's Scripture comes from today's Gospel, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and it falls so well in with what we talked about today. When a large crowd gathered with people from one town after another journeying to Jesus, he spoke in a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and was trampled, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Some seed fell on the rocky ground, and when it grew, it withered for lack of moisture. Some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some seed fell on the good soil, and when it grew, it produced fruit a hundredfold. After saying this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. Then his disciples asked him what the meaning of this parable might be. He answered, Knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to the rest they are made known through parables, so that they may look but not see, and hear but not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those on the path are the ones who have heard. But the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no root. They believe only for a time, 
and fall away in time of temptation. As for the seed that fell among thorns, they are the ones who have heard, but as they go along, they are choked by the anxieties and riches and pleasures of life, and they fail to produce mature fruit. But as for the seed that fell on rich soil, they are the ones, when they have heard the word, embrace it with a generous and good heart, and bear fruit through perseverance. That reading comes from the Gospel of St. Luke. And where do you find yourself in that story? Uh, as we talked on the first segment, that, that question of stability and of uh, comfort and of priorities, that falls very firmly in that third category of hearing the word and growing with joy, but getting choked out by the anxieties and priorities of life, the riches and pleasures of life. And so I encourage you as you discern in prayer what God is asking of you uh, to discern how it is you're receiving the word of God right now. God has given you his word. He's given you uh, redemption and not only the word spoken, not only the word written, but he's given you Christ who is the word of God. He's given you the word in the Eucharist. And how are you and I responding to that? Are we producing good fruit? Have we cleared away the, the weeds in our life? Have we plowed and made sure that there's no hardness in our hearts? Have we made our heart a place ready to receive the word of God so that that word can grow into maturity and to bear fruit? Our reading from Church History Today comes from yesterday's breviary reading on the Feast of St. Matthew from St. Bede the Venerable. Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. Jesus saw Matthew not merely in the usual sense, but more significantly with his merciful understanding of men. He saw the tax collector, and because he saw him through the eyes of mercy and chose him, he said to him, Follow me. This following meant imitating the pattern of his life, not just walking after him. St. John tells us, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And he rose and followed him. There's no reason for surprise that the tax collector abandoned earthly wealth as soon as the Lord commanded him. Nor should one be amazed that neglecting his wealth, he joined a band of men whose leader had, on Matthew's assessment, no riches at all. Our Lord summoned Matthew by speaking to him in words, by an invisible interior impulse flooding his mind with a light of grace, he instructed him to walk in his footsteps. In this way, Matthew could understand that Christ, who was summoning him away from earthly possessions, had incorruptible treasures of heaven in his gift. As he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. This conversion of one tax collector gave many men, those from his own profession and other sinners, an example of repentance and pardon. Notice also the happy and true anticipation of his future status as an apostle and a teacher of the nations. No sooner was he converted than Matthew drew after him a whole crowd of sinners along the same road to salvation. He took up his appointed duties 
while still taking his first steps in the faith. And from that hour, he fulfilled his obligation and thus grew in merit. To see a deeper understanding of the great celebration Matthew held at his house, we must realize that he not only gave a banquet for the Lord at his earthly residence, but far more pleasing was the banquet set in his own heart, which he provided through faith and love. Our Savior attests to this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. On hearing Christ's voice, we open the door to receive him, as it were, when we freely assent to his promptings, and when we give ourselves over to doing what must be done. Christ, since he dwells in the hearts of his chosen ones through the grace of his love, enters so that he might eat with us and we with him. He ever refreshes us by the light of his presence, insofar as we progress in our devotion to and longing for the things of heaven. He himself is delighted by such a pleasing banquet. That reading comes from St. Bede the Venerable. It's a homily here on yesterday's Feast of St. Matthew, as it reflects on that call that Matthew received and that you and I are receiving, not just once, but each and every day. Christ comes to us each morning before we've even thrown off the covers, before our first cup of coffee, before our eyes have adjusted to the light. Somewhere halfway between that first glimmer of the alarm clock and our first thought in response to it, Christ comes to us and says, Come, follow me. He invites us to set our priorities for the day with him in mind. He invites us to recalibrate our thoughts and orient our entire being to point first to him and then to orient all the rest of our life around that starting point. Maybe that means getting involved at your church in some kind of spiritual development. Maybe it means getting involved in the spiritual development of others, whether it be as a as a catechist or a classroom assistant, or just someone who, who helps with logistics. Maybe it means for you just starting your morning with a prayer. It's something we've been doing as we've been getting the kids ready for school. We sit down and, and do this modified version of the Ignatian examine, specifically modified for the morning. And so we let the kids really kind of ruminate on where they are and what they're experiencing and what they're hoping for and what they're desiring. And we invite Christ into that moment. And then the rest of the day, as all of those desires and thoughts and priorities come flooding back in, they're put in the context of the fact that we said at the beginning of this day that we wanted to be connected with Christ. We wanted to be like Matthew, to see Christ walk up to us, look us in the eye, consider us with the eyes of mercy, and to call us. And then each decision that we have to face in the middle of the day is seen in light of that first call. 
whatever it is, know that Christ is coming to you, however it is that you choose to, uh, to walk that out, however it is you choose to recognize that, whether it be through uh, a, a class or through spiritual direction or going to adoration once a week or going to confession every other week, whatever you do, know that Christ is looking to you, calling you by your name and saying, come, follow me. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher Webster and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Join us on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.